Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm well. I, hello, worldwide internet. You, you didn't do your, your general uh, internet introduction. You threw me off for, there a little bit, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, it, you know what? Just to take the people behind the curtains a little bit, we were experiencing some technical difficulties on our first go-round, so I was really listening to try to see if I could hear those same technical difficulties and did not give our, uh, our listeners the proper hello, Michael, hello, internet, hello, world salutation, so uh, now we're back on track. I think we are back on track, and it sounds a lot better now, so hopefully our technical problems have been fixed. Um, I am an IT manager in my part-time career, although that's not true. I'm terrible at technical things, but welcome. Welcome, everybody, in to another episode of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs. That man you heard on the other line in Portland, Oregon, is Ryan Buckley. It's a little bit after 2.20 on Monday, July the 2nd, 2.20 on the West Coast, I should point out, and... Uh, we're ready to get fired up here, Ryan. You feeling all right? You ready to go here? You got some good, bad, and interesting for the great denizens of the worldwide internet? I do. I'm, uh, I am ready to go with my good, bad, and interesting. Uh, as I told you in a previous conversation, dragging a little bit, but right. for good reason. Uh, we'll get to that in my good, but uh, we, uh, we, we play through the pain here on the Buck and Sacks show. So You have to. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, get it rolling. Yeah, good. Let's play through the pain. I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm feeling well-rested. I'm really excited for the 4th of July weekend. I want to talk a little 4th of July here towards the end of the show. And I think it might be better if we go out of order a little bit with our topics than we normally do. I hope everybody out there in worldwide internet land is okay with that. I just think it's going to flow better. So having said that, let, let me start with my good of the week. And I think it's the biggest sports story in the country, if not the world right now, although I guess the, the good people in Belgium coming off that big win they had on the soccer field would argue with that. But in the rest of the country... Uh, on the pitch, yes. Yeah, on the pitch. But in the rest of the country, I think LeBron James's decision last night to join the Los Angeles Lakers in free agency, signing a four-year deal, the money doesn't, all, doesn't really matter. It's the most amount of money that he could get. So it's, he goes to the Lakers on a four-year deal. He says goodbye to his hometown team, Cleveland, for the second time, and I'm, I'm excited about this. I mean, we talked about it last week about, you know, where LeBron might go, and it looked then like it would be Cleveland or the Lakers. When you read the reporting that's out there now, it looks like he was considering both Philly and Houston, although Houston not really that much, and it seemed like he made a quick decision. He had Magic Johnson come over to his house on Saturday night. That was reported by Sports Illustrated's Lee Jenkins, and, you know, he just decided L.A. was where he wanted to be. It was already where he was living. He announced, I thought it was interesting how he announced it this time. And when you compare it to his two other yes, yeah, free agencies announcements, it's almost like where we are in the sports media world, you know, with the one, the big decision that he had. We had a television special then. When he came back home to Cleveland, he wrote sort of a piece along with Lee Jenkins on SI's website. And now a few years mm -hmm. later, he announces it via Instagram story just before he boards a private yet for Europe, where apparently he's going to just sort of disappear for like a month, uh, you know, and, and not really say anything publicly about it, just sort of let everything simmer down. There's a lot of things we can discuss here. Uh, what's your overall feeling on, on Bron Bron's big decision? Uh, my, my immediate reaction just is that the West is uh, now even more loaded than it was before. I think it was the dominant conference already. It becomes even more so that way. It means the the East is essentially wide open, um, but this is going to be a challenge for LeBron. I don't, 
I think this is a four-year project, and, and maybe not a four-year project, but I don't think they instantly become championship contenders. I mean, it's still a team that only won 35 games last year. And yes, adding LeBron James uh, does a lot for fr- your franchise, but you still have the Warriors and you still have the Rockets to compete with. And I, I'm not sure... I see a LeBron-led Lakers team uh, surpassing either one of those right away. There could be another shoe to drop if they can, uh, if Magic and company can find a way to uh, create a deal and trade for Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. But as it stands right now, it's a little bit tough to say. Uh, I think it's certainly interesting. I think it's great for the uh, California-NorCal-SoCal rivalry, so to speak, Warriors and and. Um, the Lakers have not had a good rivalry for years. I think it's good for that. I think it's going to be tough for uh, East Coast NBA viewers who have a lot more games starting at uh, 10 or 10.30 their time now. I think that there are a lot of ramifications of this decision. I don't know how good they're going to be immediately. I don't think they're going to be great immediately, but I'm certainly intrigued and I'm, I'm excited for the league. I think it was very clear at this point in time that Cleveland was a dead end, and there wasn't going to be anything won there. And whether or not there is anything won for LeBron in Los Angeles, I think the change is good. Yeah, you know, the Kawhi thing is obviously the huge fly in the ointment. If uh, the Lakers can bring him into the fold, it changes the entire complexion of, of the NBA. Obviously, they would have to give up quite a bit to get him. Um, you know, it would probably involve getting rid of Lonzo Ball and maybe Kyle Kuzma or Brandon Ingram. So, you know, we're just going to have to see how that shakes out. You know, when you look at the Lakers now, the, just it's, it strikes me as just what an unbelievable juggernaut of an organization they are. I mean, you, you go and look at the list of the, the leading point scores in the history of the NBA, and they've got a lot. The Lakers have had a lot of these guys play for the majority of their career. Kareem, number one. Kobe, third all-time. Wilt, fifth all-time. Now they add LeBron, who is seventh all-time, and it will eventually pass Dirk, who's sixth. And then Shaq is tenth all-time, so he obviously played about half of his career with the Lakers. Then, I mean, we don't even mention on that list Magic Johnson, Jerry West. Right, because he's, yeah. And and, and Elgin Baylor. So, I mean, they've had quite a few just absolute megastars. I don't think there's another team in any of the major American sports. I mean, of course, the Yankees have won 27 championships, but they don't have the same dominating star power, I don't think, that the Lakers have. And now for them, you know, to add LeBron, it's just crazy. Now, he is 33 years old. Is he? He's either 32 or 33. I'm not sure, but... Uh, he will be, yeah, he'll be 34, I want to say, in October. Yeah, I think you're right. So he's... He's, you know, he's played, I think, 15 seasons. maybe August, seasons. something like that. He's basically never been hurt for a large chunk of time. So it's going to be interesting to see how he plays with the Lakers. I mean, how much does he have left in the tank? Last we saw him, he had a lot left in the tank. But, you know, yeah. I, I, in, but you mentioned he's going to have to wade through the Western Conference now, which isn't going to be an easy task, task for him. You know, in Cleveland, he could kind of coast a little bit more, I think, through the regular season and pace mm-hmm. himself. I'm not sure he's going to have that luxury now. I, did you see the list that, that that was out there of current guys who have made first All-NBA team that are currently in the Eastern Conference? Did you see that list? I did see that list, and yeah. The that only was, one um, on there is Joakim Noah. He's the, literally mm-hmm. the only current player in the Eastern Conference that's made first team All-NBA. He obviously made it a few, uh, quite a few years back. Kyrie Irving has Yeah, he barely plays it. now. He, he may not even be in the league this season. 
Um, yeah. Right. So Kyrie Irving has never been on it. Gordon Hayward has never been on it. John Wall has never been on it. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo has never been been on it. Neither have the two young studs in Philly. I mean, those guys I just mentioned are now the best players in the East. The East is shockingly Mm -hmm. bad. I mean, it gets back. I remember last year around the All-Star break, there was sort of a national discussion online of whether they should do away with the conferences and just, you know, seed them in the playoffs, just one through 16, regardless of conference. I thought it was a ridiculous idea at the time. Now, all of a sudden, with the free agent signings that we've seen, it honestly kind of almost looks like a good idea. But I don't know if you want to just totally change the entire complexion of the history of your sport based on LeBron changing conferences. You know, Obviously, he's never played in the West, West Conference. The whole thing's interesting. There's one other note that I did find just sort of as an aside to be interested. Interesting. Uh, Luke Walton will now be LeBron's head coach. He was drafted in the same year that LeBron was drafted. The Lakers. Took I him. saw that too. Yeah, that's yeah. remarkable. I believe that. Uh, yeah, thirty-one picks apart. LeBron first <laughs> overall, and I think Walton thirty-second overall, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's just an interesting wrinkle. And then the other thing that I found to be interesting in all this is, you know, LeBron's. You know, LeBron hasn't really said anything, but his people are out there saying that he's going to plan on. You know, one of the big reasons he wants to go to the Lakers in the first place is he's got his own production company. He's extremely media savvy. Uh, Magic Johnson, who, you know, the president of the Lakers, who I think really sold LeBron on coming to the Lakers in the first place. You know, Magic's built this whole empire of a business off the floor, and LeBron wants to do the same thing. And a lot of it has to do with media and entertainment. And he's going to be, already said, he's going to have pitch meetings in Hollywood on his off day, as, you know, as a mm-hmm. Los Angeles Laker. I think his his wife and he and he really like the private schools for uh, his kids to go to. And I think the other thing there that people may not understand is in Cleveland, when Bronny Jr., you know, who's a 13-year-old rising basketball <laughs> star, is in high school, he's just going to have this inc- incredible microscope around him if he's in Cleveland. But L.A., there's so many stars, Hollywood stars, entertainment stars, all kinds of stars of kids growing up. I think it'll be a lot easier for his kids to grow up in that environment in L.A. from all accounts. So, you know, I... The whole decision makes sense. It's going to be interesting to see who else he can bring in. Uh, but that wasn't the only free agency decision we saw. I think it only makes sense right here for you to do your bad of the week because it ties right into this whole discussion. So why don't you go ahead and give it to us? Yeah, well, my bad centers around your boy, Chris Paul. My and boy. The yeah. max deal that... And when we say your boy, I know that you have a certain level of disdain for Chris Paul and uh, maybe some of the antics. And uh, I think you, may, you maybe think he's a little bit overrated. Uh, he's certainly injury prone. But um, Chris Paul is in a position here with the Rockets where he essentially demanded uh, a max deal from them. It's going to be a $160 million deal. Is that right? I think that's um, correct. And it's not so much that... I have a problem with him getting a huge contract from them, but it's that at this point in his career, he's made so much money and the Rockets are so close to being on a similar level to the Warriors. They had the Warriors on the ropes. Their management and ownership has said what they're interested in is crafting a team to beat the Warriors. And one of the pieces that helped them get close to doing that is Trevor Ariza. And now by Chris Paul taking this extra money, Ariza leaves for... Phoenix for 15 million a year and instead they're bringing Gerald Green back 
and uh, apparently they're going to meet with Michael Carter Williams. Yeah, and that, I just that's strange. I f- it's I don't know that Ariza is the difference maker, but you look at the way the the Warriors have not only their team constructed, but have had superstar after superstar make small sacrifices along the way. First, Clay and Draymond didn't take a max. Then KD didn't take a max. Steph finally got his max. KD again didn't take the max. It's the second year in a row now. He's taken a pay cut and left more money to the Warriors, saying, okay, go out there and get some teammates with this money. And Chris Paul, presu- presumably, who's had tons of endorsements, you obviously see the the State Farm ads and, and all that stuff. He has more money than he knows what to do with. So why is it so important to take this max deal and then – regress against what you're trying to compete for. Uh, that That's something that I thought was really disappointing almost for the parody of the Western Conference. I mean, as a Warriors fan, I'm thrilled by it because I think the Rockets just got worse. The other thing, too, the end of Chris Paul's deal, he's going to be 37. There's no way they should be paying him $40 million a year when he's at 37. He's already an old man who has trouble staying on the floor uh, during the season as it is and has t- trouble staying on the floor in the playoffs. So I think that it's... It's almost as if he held them hostage, and I think that's too bad because I think the Rockets could be more competitive if uh, if he if he hadn't put them in that position. I think it could have been better for uh, the league parity across the board. Yeah, totally agree with everything you said. Uh, I'm looking at it now. He's made through, oh, wow, through this most recent season, <laughs> he's he's made a hundred about 185 million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. in NBA salary. That, that doesn't count a penny of the endorsement deals that you made. So it, it's really it's, it's hard to fathom why he did what he did. And I know that you know when he, he forced the trade to Houston last year, they acquired his bird rights. That was a big part of the trade, which meant mm-hmm. that basically they could give him this absolute max deal that he just went ahead and took. And he cost them Trevor Ariza. I mean, pure and simple. Yeah. Trevor Ariza wanted to re-sign with the Rockets. The Rockets wanted to re-sign Trevor Ariza, and he was their best defender, and now they don't have him. And it's all really because of Chris Paul's selfishness. Let's just call it like it yes. is. And it's it's shocking that Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni and the rest of the Rockets' brain trust couldn't convince Chris Paul to take less money. And you bring up Kevin Durant, and you're right. He's two years in a row now. He's left money on the table both times so that the Warriors could sign somebody on the mid-level exception. I think that the Kevin Durant deal is an interesting one from a number of different perspectives. I, I do too. You know, And I think when I saw it, and I think when a lot of NBA fans saw that, he basically took a one-year deal with a one-year player option, and he's only going to exercise that player option next year if he suffers a catastrophic injury during the year. That's, right. that's really right. the only chance he has of exercising that option. Otherwise, he's going to opt out and be a free agent again. Then he can get the Supermax that he couldn't get this yep. year. So I think fans saw, saw him take that one-year deal. I know I did. I said, ooh, maybe he doesn't really want to be with the Warriors long-term. Maybe, he, you know, then you see LeBron. You, you heard the reports that LeBron was texting him about joining him in the Lakers. Mm-hmm. My mind immediately said, ooh, maybe he's going to go play with LeBron next season in Los Angeles, which I think is obviously something that people are going to be talking about all season long. Um, But when you really read a little bit more into it, I think that by taking this one-in-one contract that he did with Golden State, he's almost really committing to Golden State long-term because he gave him a chance here 
to, again, sign another guy on the mid-level exception. He can get all of his money next year, you know, which would be the first year in the new Chase Center. I don't think that this signals really at all that he's leaving Golden State. I mean, he may end up doing that. Who knows? We never know what a guy's going to do. But I think the knee-jerk reaction that I and a lot of other people had was wrong in that regard. And I want to hit on one more thing on the whole NBA free agency. I want to hit on your boy, Paul George, taking taking <laughs> the big max contract in Oklahoma City. And, you know, I thought it was funny how it was sort of announced. I guess Russell Westbrook had a big party, and then Paul George was mm-hmm. there. And he got up on, Paul George got up on the stage with Russell Westbrook. And his quote, Paul George's quote to the crowd was, I'm here to stay, we can bring it home. And I just thought that was a great quote. I mean, what does he think he's bringing home? Like, I mean, does he really think that the Oklahoma City Thunder are a title contender now that he decided to stay? I mean, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Westbrook. I'm happy for the the good people of Oklahoma City. It's the only game in town. They love that team. And when Durant left, it looked pretty much like their their franchise was done for the for the foreseeable future. It looked like Westbrook was going to leave. And everything was done. So credit to their front office for making that trade to get George. They gave up a lot to get him. You know, Oladipo's turned into a superstar in his own right. So it's good for them that they sort of now get to keep George and that trade doesn't go for naught. They're obviously better now with George than without him. But I still don't think that they're anywhere close to a title contender. Last time we saw these guys, they were losing in six games to a much inferior Utah Jazz team who basically just took their lunch money. And that Jazz team's not going to be worse. They're going to be better. Their best player, Donovan Mitchell, was only a rookie this past year. I think the Jazz are a much better team than the Oklahoma City Thunder. In fact, I think the Jazz right now might be the second best team in the West when it's all said and done behind the Warriors. So let's see what happens there. But I just think it's funny how excited this all this buzz is around the Thunder. You know, To me, they don't do much for me. I, I like them. They're a lot of good individual talent, but we saw in the playoffs this last year that they're just going to fold when it matters the most. You can't. I just don't think that Russell Westbrook's style of play, as it exists right now, is is conducive to winning in the playoffs. Especially after he plays so hard the whole regular season. I mean, he lays it on the line every night. All credit to him for that. But it just doesn't stand up when we get to the playoffs. No, it doesn't. And I think uh, I'm, I'm definitely with you on, I, I guess I'm happy for Paul George and I'm happy for the Oklahoma City Thunder for this kind of coup as they see it for holding on to this guy. But at the same time, it just means that they're returning the exact same team that went out with a first round exit last year. So I don't really understand um, why that's anything to be especially excited about, especially when you have this uh awful abysmal Carmelo Anthony contract still looming over your head it's just Mm. the their management has made a number of poor decisions and something that I have seen um, people point out is that basically what they're now going to pay by going over the cap and paying the repeater and into the luxury tax um, is essentially what they would have paid if they had just kept James Harden all along and they were trying to be frugal back then and they could have still had Westbrook and Harden but instead I mean I guess they're trying to not, not make the same mistake twice, but you kind of you blew your wad on the wrong guy, right? I mean, yeah, that that, that came out wrong, but but you but you essentially get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, I I it, it don't it didn't come out wrong. You're just you just been on barstool <laughs> sports too long. 
It's okay. No, but, uh, you know, I, I want to – let's move on to your interesting of the week because it, again, ties into all of this NBA stuff, and then we'll put the NBA behind us and move on to a new topic. But what's your interesting of the week? Yeah, and real quick, uh, just a piece of, I guess, our first breaking news of the Buck and Sacks show. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing that Rajon Rondo is headed to the Lakers to join up with LeBron Ooh, and company. That's interesting. So that's that's uh, a fun that, little piece. That, I, I, my mind immediately – says maybe they're setting themselves up to trade Lonzo for Kawhi uh, when they make that move. But maybe he's just going to back up and sort of mentor Lonzo. That, that's going to be interesting to see how they shake out. You know, I think clearly they want to get Kawhi Leonard. I think clearly Kawhi Leonard wants to go to the Lakers. But, you know, apparently Greg Popovich has this mortal hate of the Lakers and just over his dead body isn't going to just give them his best player right before he retires. So that's going to be a super interesting scenario to see how that plays out. But it it ties into your interesting, and, and thanks for that piece of breaking news, but what is your interesting for the week? Yeah, so my interesting is a uh, is a notion, and you actually you brought up Barstool. The first person I saw mention it was uh, was Dan Katz, aka Barstool Big Cat. But he's not the only person to connect the dots here. It's interesting that it was Cleveland and L.A. that were trade partners uh, early in 2018 when LeBron didn't have enough help with his current Cavs roster, and they brought over Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance, and they basically were moving deck ships around on the Titanic. It seemed like it was an already sinking ship, and not much got better. And then you see um, the way that the contracts were moved around essentially allowed it so that the Lakers could afford someone of LeBron's price tag this summer. And you, you start to wonder, did LeBron see this as options A and B, where if this trade didn't work out, then at least the destination he would eventually maybe want to go to would have more money to pay him. And LeBron's obviously been a, a puppet master in Cleveland in his time there. He's he's uh, essentially demanded certain players get paid. Uh, he's helped shape the roster around him. But I did find it interesting going back that part of the reason L.A. was able to make this happen was because of a trade with the Cavaliers that LeBron essentially said needed to happen. Yeah, it is interesting, and it's a full-fledged conspiracy theory, and we'll never get any sort of no, detail of on whether not. it's fact or not. And I actually read a little bit more interesting discussion around this and saw that, you know, the writing was sort of, people in the know sort of feel like the writing was fully on the wall uh, two years ago when David Griffin wasn't extended, was, his contract wasn't picked up by the Cavaliers right. and LeBron loved David Griffin because he, he not only liked the moves that he made but he, he thought he was a really sharp mind and David Griffin is known for being like a really optimistic sort of bright and sunny guy and I guess LeBron sort of really took to that and really related to that and then once Griffin was let go then the writing was sort of on the wall a lot of insiders sort of think for LeBron's departure from Cleveland and then there's another piece mm -hmm. of this puzzle too is that supposedly Kyrie sort of saw all of this happening. He was there. You know, Kyrie, his first three seasons there, LeBron wasn't there. So Kyrie understood what it was like to be the best player in Cleveland without LeBron. Uh -huh. and, I, and a lot of people are speculating that Kyrie last summer, this time last summer, kind of saw fast-forwarding, you know, looked into the crystal ball a year from last mm -hmm. year saw LeBron leaving because David Griffin wasn't there and said, I don't want to go back to where I was, which was the best player in Cleveland without LeBron. 
So he mm-hmm. fast forwarded a year ahead of time, got out of Cleveland, and so a lot of people think that the Kyrie's decision to leave Cleveland wasn't so much that he didn't get along with LeBron. It was more that he just didn't want to be sitting there holding the deck of cards, holding, holding the, the hot potato yeah. when LeBron left, which sort of makes sense. And you look at the way both LeBron and Kyrie have sort of talked about one another since that trade, there hasn't been the animosity that you would expect. It doesn't rival at all how Durant and Westbrook sort of talk and feel about no, each other. No, you're right. It, they seem to still be pretty friendly and it always seemed like, wait a minute, I thought you guys were kind of supposed to hate each other, but it hasn't really seemed like that. So maybe there is something to all of that. But, you know, the NBA, the offseason, people seem to love it. I always think it's a little bit overrated, that people go a little bit too overboard with all this moving and shaking. But really, it is pretty fascinating. The whole thing, I mean, you've got these mega stars who make tons and tons of money. They can change the, the complexion of the entire sport with one little decision of where they're going to play. And it, it really is interesting, both, you know, where they go and where they don't go. So there's still some more dominoes to fall. Boogie Cousins is still out there on the table coming off mm-hmm. his injury. I think he's probably the biggest free agent out there right now. There's been some talk of maybe him joining LeBron in Los Angeles. Yep. So we'll just have to see. It's, it, you know, it's just going to keep going. It's going to keep being interesting. Um, but let me, let's move on from the NBA, close that, the chapter of the NBA for this show, and move on to You my know, if bat- I can, real quick, yeah, Michael, please. I just want to add one more point on yeah. that, and, and then we will, we will move on from the NBA. But I know uh, you mentioned the, the potential of, of having to move uh, a Lonzo Ball or Kyle Kuzma to get Kawhi Leonard, and I, I know you mentioned uh, you, <laughs> that Greg Popovich hates the Lakers with uh, the passion of a thousand suns. But uh, the other thing I think is that I can't see any universe in which Greg Popovich and LeVar Ball are even in the same state, let alone uh, in the same vicinity of each other. I think that Greg Popovich wants no part of that sideshow. And so I think what that means... The other thing, too, is Lonzo's got a torn meniscus right now. So I I think it makes him untradeable at this point. So if we do see a Kawhi Kawhi to L.A. move, I think it's going to have to be... It's going to have to involve Kyle Kuzma or... Maybe the Los Angeles Clippers. So there's, I think there's still a lot of intrigue around the or, or Brandon Ingram. I think, I think Brandon Ingram or Brandon Ingram as well. I don't know if Brandon Ingram gets gets the deal done by himself though, unless there are a lot of other picks involved. Um, yeah. But that that said, I think that it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens with Kawhi specifically, independent of LeBron, just because now there are rumblings that if Kawhi doesn't get traded, he's prepared to sit prepared to sit out the entire season. And then yeah. that would be essentially two full years that Kawhi Leonard hasn't played in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think the Spurs are going to deal him before the season starts. I'm just not sure it's going to be to the L.A. Lakers. The Lakers may just miss out on Kawhi for now. But then the other thing is Kawhi's a free agent after this season, so he could go somewhere else and then come to L.A. next summer. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that's True. a possibility as well. Um, so my but let's bad, move on. Yeah, let's move on to my bad of the week. And honestly, I had a hard time coming up with a bad of the week. I'm just feeling great. I love the 4th of July holiday. We had a really good weekend, which I'll elaborate on here a little while later. But I, I was online this morning, and I saw that you know I'm a lifelong Alabama Crimson Tide football fan. My dad went to college there. I was raised on it. It's in my blood. And yeah, I follow the Tide super closely. And, you know, the Crimson Tide's well-known throughout the country for having one of the most 
hardcore fan bases that there is. They they expanded their stadium a few years back to now where it's, you know, one of these stadiums that's over 100,000, and they sell out pretty much every game. You know, they've got the best program in the country. They're coming off another national championship. But I saw for the first time in what anybody in Alabama could remember, there were actually single-game tickets that went on sale this morning for three different SEC home games. You know, the homecoming game against Missouri, the game against Texas A&M, which really shocked me because now that's Jimbo Fisher coming to play his old boss, Coach Saban, for the first time in Tuscaloosa, and then Arkansas, which didn't surprise me as much. But that's, you know, sort of sent shockwaves, I think, you know, for a July story through the Alabama fan base that single-game tickets, you could just buy tickets at the box office, so to speak, to an SEC home game. And I, I did a little research, and, you know, we this is now the third week in a row that we've talked about attendance issues. Two weeks ago, we talked about MLB attendance. Last week, we talked about NASCAR falling attendance. And now, sadly, we're going to have to sit here and talk about college football attendance because I looked it up, and last year was the fourth straight year in a row. Well, four straight year. That's redundant. It was the fourth straight year that college football attendance across the country dropped year to year for the first time ever. And they've been tracking college football attendance since 1948. So it had never happened where you had four straight years where overall nationwide average attendance per game numbers dropped for four straight years. And last year, from 2016 to 2017, was the second biggest per game drop in attendance in in 34 years and the second biggest drop ever. So it's not just Alabama. It's a nationwide epidemic. And why mm-hmm. do you think they're having trouble filling up college football or stadiums? What, what What's your thought on that? Well, I think that it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I really... I don't think the product has gotten any worse. So, like, I, I think, in fact, I think it may have gotten better. I think Agree. The, the athletes in college football now and the coaching in college football now is probably as good as it's ever been. So yeah. it's as close to being pro level as we've seen in a college game. It doesn't seem nearly as slow as it used to. Um, so I don't think the game itself is suffering. I think it comes back to some of the things we've discussed before where it's – becoming more difficult for families to go to these events affordably, uh, especially if you're coming from out of town. And I also think that the the convenience with which you can watch these games at your leisure uh, in your home, whether it's on the DVR after it happens, whether it's watching on your phone uh, at some family gathering, uh, I think it's just it's easy to catch up with it. I think people th- can, can think to themselves, you know, I could spend 80 bucks to go to this game or I could watch the highlights later on my phone in a minute and 30 seconds. And, you know, I'm expecting a blowout anyways, maybe in this Alabama case. So it, it doesn't make much of a difference to me. Now, I think it should make a difference because I think what you're missing out on is the atmosphere and the tailgate experience and the bands and the things that make college football really great and really special. But I also think that the in-home viewing experience has gotten a lot better. Um, and I think it's the accessibility and the affordability uh, of college football away from the venue itself has, has improved in both of those fields. And the other thing I was pondering, I was thinking about this, Michael, on my, on my drive home, and I'm not really sure if this holds up or not, but I feel as though um, our generation has has less disposable income as our parents' generation. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but I I feel like people our age, more people are 
um, trying to hold on to money to buy houses, to send their kids to college. And not that our parents' generation wasn't doing that, but I think our generation is a little bit more of a, a late bloomer generation. And, you know, we weren't we're not buying houses right out of college. Um, and then, you know, essentially building off of that equity. I think it's maybe a generational change in which you see some of the older fans starting to kind of not renew and phase out. And maybe the younger fans aren't backfilling where those older fans have left. Yeah, I think you said, I agree, as I often do. I agree with everything that you said, literally every word. And I want to hit on two points, and I'll start and just sort of accentuate what you said. I think it's the younger generation that isn't buying the tickets as much. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a few reasons for it. I think that they do have less disposable income. I think that that's sort of a nationwide uh, socioeconomic problem that we don't want to get into because we don't really know what we're talking about. But a lot of articles you read say, you know, if you count inflation, that today's generation is the first generation, you know, in 250 years that's worse off financially than their predecessors. So, I think Mm -hmm. that that's a part of the problem. But I think the bigger part of the problem is the in-home viewing experience has become so great. You know, now people are able to afford these big, huge, awesome HD TVs, and you get the nice couches, and you can cook your own food, and you've got your own beer, you can drink whatever you want. And I just think that that's a, a better and more fun option for a lot of people to have 15, 20 people over to watch the game on your 50-inch TV than it is to slog, you know, a three-hour drive to the stadium, not get home till midnight or later. A lot of these stadiums now are just now starting to sell beer. I think that's been a big knock on college football for a while is that you couldn't buy beer at the game, whereas you can Uh either at the bar if you stay at home. So you're seeing a lot of teams now which you would have never thought of before. It was always taboo that you could not buy beer at an NCA event. That Those walls are crumbling basically for financial reasons. And I, I think that right. a lot of fans are staying home because they, they, you can't buy a beer at the game, which is a kind of a crazy reason to not go to the game. But I think <laughs> yeah. that this whole craft beer revolution, you know, to speak to the younger generation, I think a lot of the 20-year-olds now want a nice craft beer. And if you can't get it at the game, stay home and have all the craft beer that you want. And then the, I, I think the just the overall expenditure, the expense, and just sort of the pain in the ass of going to a game. I just think people have gotten, you know, I don't want to say people have gotten softer. I just think people may have gotten a little bit lazier when it comes to going to a game. Then the other thing is that you hear a lot about that that doesn't bother me at all, but apparently it does with this so-called younger generation, is, you know, they don't have great Wi-Fi in the stadium, so you can't be on your phone. I don't understand why you can't put the phone down for three hours, you know? It's like, to me, I I want to put my phone down for three hours. I love, you know, when I go out now, especially with the kids, I leave my phone at home a lot. Like, I think it's a great exercise to just purposely get away Mm -hmm. from the phone for a few hours, it just makes me a lot, just feel better about everything, to, to be honest. Yeah. It makes me feel better physically and mentally. I don't understand why people can't put the freaking phone down. You're at the game, watch the game, be with your friends, whatever. Why do you need Wi-Fi at the stadium? But apparently people do. That's sort of mystifying to me. I think that that's been a huge complaint among the college students as to why they're not going mm-hmm. to the game but I, yeah i just think it take they com- people complain about everything now it takes too long the games <laughs> kick off too late i can you know 
I, a lot of that stuff doesn't make sense, but what does make sense is A, it's too expensive, B, the hassle, and C, the in-home or bar viewing experience really is pretty awesome. And, and in the case of Alabama in particular, in teams of that sort of caliber, you know, Alabama now, their three biggest games of the year every year for the past seven or eight years has been the SEC championship and then the semifinal and championship, none of which are on campus. So it's a, costs a mm-hmm. lot of money to go to those games. I think you've seen a that's lot a good of, point. I think you've seen a lot of Alabama fans spend a lot of money to travel to those games the past many many years, and they're anticipating doing that again this year. So maybe that you know if you don't live right there in Tuscaloosa, let's say you're an Alabama fan in Florida that's gonna. You know, do I drive up to these three SEC games or maybe I save my money for the semifinal game this year? You know, I think that that's a decision that a lot of Alabama fans are being forced to make. I realize that that sounds spoiled as can be, but I do think it's a, it's a real thing particular to the Alabama fans. Yeah, and, you know, it's not – Oregon never achieved uh, anywhere near the, the same amount of acclaim and accolades, but – um, there were a number of years when Oregon was going to uh, Rose Bowls and and championship games, and the, and it was funny. The height of their success is when they first uh, had a had a difficult time selling their non conference tickets, and now part of that was because you're playing a team like a Southern Utah or an Arkansas State or something like that, but a stadium that had been at you know 108 percent capacity for. Uh, nearly two decades was was suddenly not filling up when the team was as good as it's ever been. So uh, I, I can certainly understand fans not wanting to go to um, some of the home games when you're anticipating instead paying for something bigger and better down the road. Yeah, and, and you make a great point, and I think it speaks to a larger just sort of scheduling problem that college football has, where you're, these these big-time programs are playing too many cupcakes, the interest is totally out the window for these games, and I think they're going to eventually have to go the way of the Pac-12 and just stop scheduling FBS opponents altogether. And I'd like to see them just straight up just start the Power 5 teams only play Power 5 teams, and then maybe you add 16 teams to the playoff, that's something that uh, Nick Saban has been at the forefront of advocating here for a while. I don't think we've gotten there, but I think when you see the attendance nationwide to continue to decline the way it has now for four straight years, I think eventually these school presidents and athletic directors, who, let's be honest, the number one thing they care about is money because they fu- they fuel the rest of their athletic programs with the football money. So when that football money starts to go away based on poor ticket sales, they're going to have to start changing the way they they do things. But it won't be until, it always takes a little while for it to sort of catch up. I still think we're probably five years away from that happening, but I do think that that's on the horizon. And that's going to come, you know, with a whole other set of circumstances that we can talk about at a later time. But let's move on. We've got a couple sort of off-sport topics here for our interesting as we come up on the 4th of July. So why don't you tell me about your interesting of the week? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's. I think since we went out of order here, I think this is actually my good of the week. Oh, the, you're uh, right. This is your good of the week. But, you already did your but, but you know what? But it's interesting you know, never to go I'm straight. excited to hear about it. Yeah, never go straight, always go forward. Um, so basically, we, uh, as, I told, as we discussed last week, uh, I was going to New York City for a bachelor party over the weekend. Um, and it was fantastic. I just, it's only the second time I've been to New York city, but, uh, it is a city unlike any other. It is part of the reason that I'm dragging a little bit today. (laughs) Um, 
I spent all of yesterday in transit after spending about 72 hours on a uh, on a booze filled bender with my buddies. Uh, so lots of fun to be had. Yeah, lots of fun to be had. We uh, there were um, there was plenty of uh, gambling action going on amongst the boys, whether that be darts or dice or the World Cup or beer pong. Uh, lots of wagers going on among friends, and uh, then on top of that, um, for anyone who has not done this when they go to New York, I have to advocate for the Comedy Cellar in uh, Greenwich Village. It's just it is uh, an experience uh, unlike really any that I've seen or found anywhere else. And I really like comedy shows. I like seeing comedians um, at venues. I, I've seen plenty at, uh, at Cobbs in San Francisco, and uh, we'll probably see some up here at Helium in Portland. But I, I'm a big fan of, of stand-up comedy. And the way they do it at the Comedy Cellar is they it's, it's underground, so it is literally like a cellar. And it holds about 140 people. And they shuttle about seven comedians in for uh, I would say 20 to 25 minute sets each. And uh, they have an MC that, that tees each one of them up, but they're, they're really talented. A number of them have either been on uh, the Colbert report or the daily show or Saturday night live. Um, they they all hold um, quite a bit of acclaim and you sudden sometimes get pop-ins from some, some real big names, but because they don't allow anyone to film anything down there and they'll kick you out if you do, um, it becomes this environment that feels like a throwback to a couple decades ago where mm-hmm. people were safe to say things that are like maybe politically incorrect and not worried that a special interest group is then going to rake them over the coals on Twitter and try to derail their career. And I'm not saying I'm advocating for people being overly offensive, but it is it is nice to kind of unburden yourself with all of the uh, kind of the, the pressures of the social media, like real world and the consequences of that. And let somebody just tell some hilarious jokes for a while that everyone thinks are funny, whether they're a little bit off color or not. And, uh, it was an outstanding time. Uh, and then additionally, um, one of the best steakhouses I've ever been to at Peter Luger's steakhouse. Oh, that's in Brooklyn. world famous. Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, it was, it was where Johnny Carson said he had the best dinner of his life. Um, and it was, uh, it was really classic. It kind of reminds me, um, except for that it, their forte is not prime rib. It reminds me of kind of the setting of the house of prime rib in San Francisco. Um, really simple menu, everything done just perfectly, super professional staff. And then, uh, Saturday was capped off with a a Yankees Red Sox game in the Bronx. Um, it was, uh, it was a blowout. Uh, Raphael Devers hit get five hits, including a grand slam. Yeah. Uh, Chris Sale threw a, a little bit of a gem there, but overall, just my good is, is New York City for a seventy-two hour weekend. Uh, good food, good entertainment, good sports. Yeah, awesome. It sounds awesome. I knew you would have a good time. I've always wanted to go to Peter Luger. I've heard it's outstanding. It's you know one of the most famous steakhouses in the in the whole country, if not the world. And I'll back you up on the on the comedy. Uh, comedy seller. I went uh, just probably two months ago to my first time at the world famous comedy store in Hollywood, right there on the Sunset Strip, mm-hmm. which is just super hot right now. I mean, I think stand up comedy is at an all time high in its popularity right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with the podcast world of which we are now a part. Um, but a, a lot of indeed com- a lot of comedians uh, have their own podcasts, and they also are really good about going on all their different friends' podcasts. I think that that's really 
sort of spread the word about a lot of these guys and girls that you wouldn't have heard of otherwise. I also think Joe Rogan is a big part of that. You know, he probably he has mm-hmm. one of the most popular podcasts that that's out there, and he has a lot of his stand-up comedian friends on all the time, and he himself performs at the comedy store all the time. But the setup was very similar, although they didn't outlaw cell phones uh, at the comedy store. Mm. Maybe in L.A. it's just too tough to do. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> it's a lot like the Fillmore in San Francisco where they have all the uh, tons of framed pictures of all the great comedians yeah, yeah. that have performed there over the years. I mean, you just walk down this one main hall. It's just super awesome to see, you know, headshots of, Richard Pryor and Jerry Seinfeld and Jackie Gleason and Sam Kinison and and Eddie Murphy and just all the greats, you know, people who started out there in their when they were twenty and became huge movie stars later, and yet still, like you said, they'll still have like big name comedians pop in all the time. I know Dave Chappelle goes in there as as well as Chris Rock likes to just show up, you know, kind of unannounced and just and tell jokes for 15 or 20 minutes. So I had a, Yeah, try out some new material, yeah, get a they laugh. They try out and, their yeah. new material before they go on the road or do one of their big, you know, now next Netflix special. So, agree. If mm-hmm. you have a chance to go to the Comedy Cellar in NYC or the store in LA, we both, I think, highly recommend that you do so. It's totally awesome. I'm glad you had such a good time in New York. Real quick, how did you like the new uh, Yankee Stadium? Uh, I like the new Yankee Stadium, and I, I don't have the comparison because I had never been to old Yankee stadium, but I I did like the way they designed it. It's um, it's got a really nice uh, concourse with really great sight lines. And we weren't, we weren't, we weren't sitting um, in uh, the, the lower box, but uh, we walked around a great deal of the concourse just to kind of take a spin around the stadium uh, and to get around to our seats, which were out towards left field and uh, really great sight lines. And, uh, I, I like that they they kind of brought over some classic elements, and they really tried to make the the shape and the design of the stadium mimic the old the old yard. And so, what, I don't know how well they captured that because I've never been to that old yard. But yeah. it's not it's not like it's AT and T Park where there's some feature about it that just wows you. Um, but it is very classic feeling, and uh, and certainly the having the Red Sox in the building gives you that classic rivalry feeling as well. Despite the fact it was a blowout, there was uh, a lot of jabbering going on in the stands. Um, saw a, a fight have to be broken up in the left center field bleachers. Of course. Um, we had a, a family in front of us that was, um, that looked like they were, they were, they were probably rolling like 12 deep, but they were all mixed Yankees and Red Sox fans. So they were having a, a ton of fun, but just giving each other a hard time all game. And uh, in front of us, there were, um, there was a, a grandfather and then his two kids and one of his kids, kids. So like three generations in this, uh, these four guys there, it's just, it was a special environment, special place. And, uh, you know, summer baseball is always a good thing, even if it was about 93 degrees at first pitch, uh, with about 80% humidity. Yeah. And it was kind of a bummer of a weekend for just baseball fans in general, both the Saturday and Sunday nationally televised games were both total blowouts. I mean, as you said, mm-hmm. Chris Sale cruised on Saturday, and then Luis Severino shut it down on the Red Sox last night on ESPN's national game, and I think the Yankees were up like 6 nothing after two innings. It was just kind of a bummer of a weekend. I was looking forward to watching pieces of both, and there just wasn't much to watch, but that didn't no. matter for you because you were there having a great time. But just as a side note, a little bit of a bummer that those two games weren't more competitive on a national stage. But I want to move to my interesting of the week. Uh, Saturday night, 
Katie and I, my wife, took our two young boys to the Marin County Fair at, in San Rafael. It was our second straight year doing it. And last year, I'm not, you know, people kind of laugh at me when I, when I tell them this, but I'm dead serious about it. Last year was the first year we took the kids to the fair. Uh, Kyle was, our oldest was two and a half, and Jake, our youngest, was just a baby. I mean, he was only like four months old. But it was honestly, Ryan, one of the best times I've ever had. Not, not just as a, uh, with my family, but ever. I mean, it was just an unbelievable okay. time. I, I absolutely love a good summer county fair. It's really one of my favorite things. There's just nothing about it I don't like. Everything about it, I do like. It's just one thing after another. It's just a kaleidoscope of sight, sound, smells, and experience. It's just a ton of fun. You know, we, we started off, Kyle's three and a half now, so he was super jacked up to go on the rides. You know, they've got all these, like, little carnival rides. And last year when he went, mm -hmm. we weren't sure he was going to even be able to go on any because they have a height restriction. So you have to be 36 mm -hmm. inches, so three feet. I mean, he got in just under the tail of the tape last year. This year, there was no problem. Jake couldn't go, which pissed him off the whole night. Like, the whole night, <laughs> he was just pissed that he couldn't go. But eventually, he got over the fact that he couldn't get on the rides. But Kyle rode everything. And then some of the bigger rides, they let the adult go with your kid as long as he's three feet. So I got to go on, like, a little roller coaster called the Wacky Worm. You know, a great name. We... <laughs> <laughs> we 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 went we went on the you know the swings you know where they swing you around kind of and it goes wide it's kind of a cool thing but just the you know he loved the rides then he got to you know he's really in Kyle the oldest one's really into playing basketball I'd take him to shoot you know three right, times right. a week now and they had a you know one of these carnival games where you pay a couple bucks and if you you make a couple hoops you get to choose like a stuffed animal or whatever so he's actually mm -hmm. a pretty good little shooter he you had to make both your shots and he made them both and he won like this little stuffed shark you know you would have thought he won the larry o'brien trophy he was so happy <laughs> i mean it was seriously like an awesome awesome time then he he went back later because jake was pissed that he didn't have a shark so kyle went and shot for jake and made a few more shots and got jake a shark so that was like a great family moment awesome yeah then they have this whole area of like it's like a barnyard. You know, they've got all these different like a animals. a petting zoo type deal? They had a petting zoo, which Jake freaking loved. And then, you know, they've got these huge cows. They had this cow. I mean, it was like, the honest to God, <laughs> the biggest cow I've ever seen in my life. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to send you a picture when we're done. It was so unbelievably huge. They had horse jumping, horses. They had, you know, bunny rabbits and dogs, cats, literally at roosters, everything you can think of. And then, you know, they have awesome fair food. You know, I had some good nachos. I had some paella. Um, and then they had a concert, too. They have a different band every night. Pretty good band. Sunday night was the Beach Boys. We saw uh, Michael Franti and Spearhead, which is kind of like a new school reggae band that's pretty popular. He was really good. I mean, we didn't really sit there and watch the band, but you can kind of hear it from the entire fairgrounds. Sure. And it was just a great night. And then it's capped off with the whole fair is around this sort of like little lake that they have, like a little lagoon. And they shoot off fireworks from this barge right in the middle of the lake. And I mean, these fireworks are just right on top of you. It's unbelievable how they allow you to get so close. And it was a legit, almost like 30 minute firework display. Wow. It, it only cost 15 bucks for my wife and I to go each. The kids were free. I mean, just talk about a great value and a, just a really super awesome night of entertainment. 
I couldn't believe both of my kids stayed awake as long as they did. I mean, we didn't get home till like 11 o'clock and they were still rolling. It was unbelievable. Just a great <laughs> night. I love the fair. I mean, I will go to a fair anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter who I'm with. I would go by myself even. I would, ha- I would still have a great time. I just love, love the fair. I'm totally with you, and uh, I do not have children to take to a fair. However, I've always been a big fan as well. I like everything about it from uh, the rides to the food to the music. It's just it's it just feels like kind of like a little slice of Americana in totally. the summertime. You know, it's um, totally. it's just it it feels good to be in that setting. And on top of it, you know, it it actually brings me back to something you were just talking about with the Alabama football tickets and people needing good Wi-Fi in the stadium. I just don't know that the 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 generations coming up know how to have a good time without their phones. And it, I think it's crazy. It just the, the way that people have to be have to have internet accessibility for you know, you can't shut it down for a three-hour window or whatever. And I'm I'm not like you. I don't really ever leave my phone at home. But I do frequently when I go out with my friends or I go out on the golf course or um, or I'm just at home uh, with, with my girlfriend. I put my phone on do not disturb mode so that the only reason I could possibly be picking up the phone is because I myself – like it's not because someone texted me or an email came in like – I'm missing all of that. And so then I catch myself going to my phone when I really have no business doing it. And I think we could all just afford to be a little bit better at just being where we are and enjoying what's in front of us because things like football games and tailgates and and, and county fairs, those are the enjoyable experiences in life that people are missing on when they're when they've got their iPhones up their nose. Yeah, and you know what it's about? You know what you're missing out on? It's not so much that you're missing out on the game or the ride at the fair. You're missing out on relationships with people. Yes. That's yep. the thing that you're missing out on. You've you've you value this relationship you have with your phone or the value you you put value on a relationship with whoever you're texting with over the relationship that of the people you're with. And I think that that it's a is good way the, of real, at it. the real heart of the matter. And honestly, I think and you're, you're, I'm starting to read some articles about this. Psychologists are now, you know, this whole addiction to their phone, it's becoming, it's a real addiction. It's like a drug. It's real. It's a real it's addiction real. that is akin to being addicted to drugs. And I think it ruins a lot of romantic relationships too in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I just, it's a real pet peeve of mine. And I started noticing it several years ago, and it's only gotten worse. I mean, you walk down the streets now, and you literally, like, people will run into you because they're not watching where they're going because they're on their phone. It's like there's so many things, you know, accidents are way up because people are texting and driving, even though they know they, I mean, it just makes no sense to be driving a vehicle at 60 miles an hour down a freaking highway, and you're texting on your phone. I mean, that's just... There's few things that are stupider that you can do in this world right now than that. You're taking your life and the life of others in your own hands. And it's not a joke. It's, it's, it's a serious deal. But, I mean, aside from the, the serious danger part of it, I do think that people are crazily addicted to these devices. And, you know, having to respond to emails and texts or, you know, if somebody comments on your Instagram photo, you've got to like it all of a sudden or whatever the case is. It's, an, it's a <laughs> yeah. disease. It's literally becoming a disease and it bothers me to no end and it really bothers me as a father of two young boys you know Kyle now the oldest loves the iPad you know he loves to play games on it but we've got to like literally set a timer it's like okay you can play this game 
for 15 minutes, but then we're taking it away from you. I know a lot of parents just don't let their kids have electronic devices at all. We, my wife and I sort of missed the boat. We, the cat's already out of the bag, you know, but it, it, well, it's but on the serious... other end of the spectrum, a lot of parents will just put that iPad in their, in their kid's hand because they need them to be distracted and they just want some relief from parenting, which like a is a convenient way out. Yeah. It's a convenient way out, but it doesn't serve anyone in the long run. And I think you're seeing a lot of kids who are just coming to expect when they – no one learned, knows how to wait anymore. No one knows how to hold, have a regular conversation anymore. If, if you and I wanted something when we were kids, we didn't fire up the iPhone. We stood in the kitchen with our parent and talked about – you know, we had to talk with them about something until we could address the thing that it was that we wanted. Um, it's, it's just – it's a different generation. It's a little scary the way things are going, but I love – uh, things like the county fair and like football games uh, without technology because it just it makes you enjoy and allows you to enjoy uh, those experiences just completely unencumbered. No, I totally agree. You know, we were on such a good note and then we got off on ripping social media and, and just <laughs> technology thing. And it is a double-edged sword because being able to be connected with people that you wouldn't otherwise and all that, there's a lot of pluses. But I'm seeing now way more negatives, particularly in a social setting, way more negatives than positives. It drives me crazy on a number of different levels. I really think it's a huge problem. I think 50 years from now, you know, when the robots take over, we're going to look at look <laughs> at these at these days, you know, the sort of first 10 years of the iPhone as a, a serious turning point in our society. And I don't know if it's going to be something that we can ever really recover from. It's a crazy crazy thing. I think so many people just sort of put it on autopilot don't even realize, don't have the self-awareness to realize what they're doing, and it, it ends up hurting them in, in their social mm -hmm. life so much. And it, it's just, it's a huge problem that I think is just really beginning to become sort of, a, people are becoming aware of how bad of a problem that it is. But the fair was awesome. I can't recommend it highly enough. Anybody who has a chance to go to a summer fair over the 4th of July, go. We're getting close to an hour. I want to throw a wild card at you. You know, on the subject of the fair, I, I raved about the fireworks, but my wild card for you, Ryan, is what's the best firework display that you've ever seen? Ooh, wow, that is tough. Um, hmm. Well, I've seen I have seen many a firework display at. Um, you know what? I I can I can dial it down, and it's a. Uh, Little little bit of summer nostalgia. My uh, my grandparents, uh, both of whom are, are now deceased, they um, had for 25 years were uh, season ticket holders with the Oakland Athletics, and um, they and actually there was a period they were huge baseball fans. They uh, they lived in Orinda, so they were pretty close to the Oakland Coliseum. Right. Uh, really really short drive, and that's kind of how they chose to spend their retirement. Once they felt like they were a little bit too old uh, to continue traveling and um, neither one of them were, were super um, mobile. Uh, my, my grandfather was having a little bit tougher time golfing and my, and my grandmother had some joint replacements. And so what they wanted to do was, was take themselves to the ball game every night. And so I kind of grew up going to A's games um, and, and learning the game of baseball, not just through you know my dad and my mom, who were baseball fans, but through my grandparents, who, who took me a lot with their tickets. And, uh, and I, I specifically remember finding out uh, that you could watch the fireworks on the, on the field, in the outfield at the Oakland Coliseum. And I was probably... I was probably six years old. I think I was in T-ball, maybe. And I found out that when I got to the game that night that people could 
sit on the uh, or could lay down, lay blankets down on the field to watch the firework display. And this was before, you know, Mount Davis was put in over there. So you had a kind of a clear look out at the hills. And we were just going to watch from our seats. At least that's what my grandma had planned on. But my grandpa saw how kind of jacked up I was that everybody else was going to be able to go on the field. So around the, the seventh inning, he and I kind of like snuck off like we were going to use the bathroom. And uh, and then we went down uh, to towards like the right field line where they were going to let people in at the gates. And we were one of the first people on the field. And uh, grandma watched from her seats while me and grandpa watched from center field laying on the grass. And uh, I don't know that the display itself was any more spectacular than others that I'd seen. But that specific experience stands out because it might have been my first time on a big league ball field. Yeah. And uh great memories with my grandparents so that's that's what i'm gonna go with and i can tell you just quickly the firework display that the a's put on every time to this day is awesome i mean it's like Mm -hmm. it's right over the stadium it's it's huge it's loud it's colorful it's really good that's it's one of the best things that the a's do they do it like three or four times a season awesome it's usually like on a friday night they do put on a tremendous firework display i agree What, what what's your wild card of the week for me yeah, I was actually going to go down uh, the the Fourth of July road in some capacity. I, I first thought, started thinking about um, just what is your favorite holiday, but it you, we're both so pro Fourth of July and country and county fair and country fair and and all of the above. I'd like to shift gears and give my you know kind of put a wild card on myself. But uh, what does your ideal Fourth of July look like? Oh well, you know. The 4th of July, when people ask me what my favorite holiday is, I generally say it's the 4th of July. I just So I, do I. I, I. I absolutely love it. It's weird to have it on a Wednesday. It's like Wednesday is like the mm-hmm. worst possible day. But it also, if you can get the whole week off, maybe it's the best possible day. So I don't know. Uh, I deal, I've had some really good 4th of Julys. I've had some crazy 4th of Julys. I was thinking about telling a story, but we've gone so long here. It would take me too long. <laughs> I'm not going to tell this story. You know, for me, I guess my, an ideal 4th of July is either involving some sort of water. So you're either at the beach mm-hmm. or you're at the lake where both I've had super 4th of Julys. And then in the in the late afternoon, I think you got to go to somebody's house and have a cookout of some sort. You got to cook some meat, cook some corn, you know, fi- watermelon, something like that. And, you know, with, with a nice cooler full of beer. And then late at night, later at night, you got to be able to see the fireworks display. And honestly, that's the worst part about being in San Francisco for the 4th, is generally the fog obscures the fireworks so much. They have a great firework display in San Francisco, and I'm usually, the last, like, 10 years, I've usually been in the city for the fireworks, and I think I've only seen them, like, twice, because the the fog just comes in and it totally ruins Mm -hmm. it. They usually end up shooting them off anyway, but you can't really see them from most places. But if you can get some sort of water, some sort of cookout, and then cap it off with some fireworks. I, I don't think you can go and do much better than that. Yep, I, I love all that. I'll add to that that I grew up in a in a suburb that had an annual parade that was the first thing in the morning. So it was yeah. like 9 a.m. and you get all the Little League teams and the high school football teams and marching bands coming through. And that kind of just adds to the whole day and the experience. But yeah, I agree. You got to have a, a barbecue uh, with friends or family or both. Uh, and you got to have some water. And that could be lake beach or that could even be just a pool party yeah uh, if you're yeah, lucky enough to some, know someone some... with a pool then by exactly that, that certainly yeah. counts in my book 
And then something we've started doing um, up here is actually at, at uh, where I'm living now, um, we have a, a fire pit. And so uh, we last year uh, roasted marshmallows and did s'mores as we watched the fireworks from the hill we're on. And uh, we'll, we'll probably do the same again this year. So. Well, that's awesome. I, we, we're going to go over to a friend's house in the afternoon, um, but we haven't figured out the morning piece. I might, Kyle's been wanting to go to an A's game, so I may take him to the afternoon A's game, but that, I don't know. I, I, I'm not huge on going to A's games, especially if Katie and Jake can't come. Jake's still got to get a nap in, so I'm not sure I'm going to do that. I'll let you know next week. We've, we've got uh, another episode coming up next week. Let's put this one in the books. Um, I thank everyone for listening to another episode of the Buck and Sack Show. Hope everyone has an awesome 4th. Hopefully we'll have a good 4th of July story or two to tell next week on the Buck and Sack Show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next week. Take care, y'all. Bye-bye.